This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff, producing the show. Want to thank... Uh, some of our uh, some of our people, man, our peeps, if you will, um, the great folks over at Superbook, America's best bet, Superbook. Check them out. Also, my friends over at Monarch Meds, MonarchMeds.com. Uh, check out the relief spray. Check out the relief cream. Um, just, uh, I tell you what, you want some pain relief, CBD, great stuff. Uh, I like it so much that I uh, purchased myself part of the company. How about that? So uh, I am uh, working with them. You can check it out. You can get uh, a discount, 20% discount. Just go to monarchmeds.com and enter uh, the code uh, STINK, and you get 20% off and uh, free shipping as well. So monarchmeds.com, enter STINK. So the idea is rejuvenation, getting back to the the person you you once were, right? I just, I tell you, just, yeah, just. Like, like what the Colts are planning to do with, hoping yeah. to do with Carson Wentz. Oh, ah, see I, I see how you did that see, there. See, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a method to the madness. The rejuvenation. Here. Yes, absolutely. I mean, try- Isn't that what they're counting on? Mm-hmm. Frank Reich is going to rejuvenate. Frank Reich is going to bring him back to his roots, get him back to, you know, what he was in 2017 before the injury, where he was having an MVP type of. Year, I believe, in his second year in the league, uh, yeah, he was he was phenomenal. I, I tell you what, when you look at Carson Wentz and when you look at what Carson Wentz was and then what he became last year, and the interesting thing, I, I think it's really hard, Mike, when a guy has a really bad year. You know, we are such prisoners of the moment. We saw what happened in Philly, and I always say this about quarterbacks. Like, when things go wrong, you've got to accept 100% of the responsibility. When when you guys don't win and things go wrong, that's on me. I've got to be better. Like, that's part of the, that's part of the job description. Like nobody likes the French waiter quarterback. When, he, when things go wrong and that guy is wee, 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 right? That's bullshit. Like, nobody likes that. So when things go wrong, you've got to accept 100% of the blame. When things go right, you have to deflect 100% of the credit. It's part and parcel of playing that position. But when you actually watch Carson Wentz last year, he was bad. He was really bad. But the Eagles were horrible, Mike. Like, I kept, I kept when I when I prepared for a game, I went through a three-game kind of, you know, which I do. I go through this three-game kind of series of, dissecting everything they're doing. What do they do on third downs? I want to look at their third downs. I want to look at their first down and 10, their second down and five minus. You know, that's kind of what what you are at your core. What is your base offense? And then, you know, what are you in third downs, third and short versus third and long? What are you in critical situations? What are you in the red zone? Like, what are you trying to accomplish, right? And when you look at, when you look at Philadelphia, there were thir- certain things that just jumped out. 
to me on the screen. One, they couldn't protect anybody. 14 different offensive line combinations. He got sacked 50 times in 12 games. Just unacceptable. Now, some of that certainly was on Carson. Holding the ball. Um, a lot of that, a lot of those sacks, were on a receiving core that flat out could not beat man-to-man coverage. There was not one person, not one team, that looked at them and was afraid of them getting beat over the top. Like You watched how tight the cushions were. You watched how much press man they played. Or They just weren't afraid of getting beat over the top ever, ever. So they would disrupt routes. They would, you know, like, and, and Carson didn't have what I would call easy answers. Doug Peterson didn't, didn't develop any easy answers for him. So it was all, here's what we're running. And when guys weren't open, he had to hold the ball, and he got the snot beat out of him. Then the last thing I'll say about their offense that really bo- – well, two two things I'll say about their offense. You can say whatever you want about Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson was a quarterback in this league for a long time. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson knows more about coaching than, I'll, than, than I know. But I also know that Doug Peterson – is one of those guys, comes from the offensive side of the ball, one of those guys that played the quarterback position, one of those guys that doesn't truly put the value on physicality and running the ball the way he should. I've had the conversation with him. He doesn't. Um, and then lastly, what I'll say is they were probably, of all the teams I, I covered last year and all the teams I did an in-depth study on, they were probably the most static formationally and from a motion and, and movement standpoint of any team I watched. And, and what that does for you, like if you can't beat man coverage, you better get guys on the move so guys can't press you. You know what I'm saying? You better get, like think about New England back in the day. Think about, like, think about all their guys in the slot, whether it was Wes Welker or whether it was um, Amendola or whether it was Julian Edelman. What always happens with those guys? Where do they come from? They start outside the numbers, they motion in, the ball is snapped. Why do they do that? So you got to follow a guy across the ball. You can't press a guy. You can't, like, you're getting, you're creating a situation where, one, you're identifying coverage. Is it man or is it zone? The other thing is you're you're eliminating press. You're eliminating jams at the line of scrimmage. Those are the two things you're trying to accomplish, right? New England did it consistently. So you got a receiving core that's really tr- having having a ton of trouble getting off the ball, Mike, and you line up in static formations without motions and without movement. Like it's just is it was just a bad job coaching and a bad job playing. So what I'm hearing is a lot of allowances, excuses for Carson Wentz that when you consider the the asking price of what Indy had to pay, this may turn out to be a steal. I think there's a lot of people for who, Indy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who who said, you know, based on last year, he's just it irreparable damage, right? And it's really funny because you know, here in Denver, my my tune changed a bit when I saw what the asking price was. Like when I thought that it was going to be first rounders, maybe multiple first rounders, or at least one. I was like, boy, do I really want a reclamation project? But then I saw it was Indy, and it was Frank Reich, uh, a language that they both speak together, something, an offense that they've, you know, that that he grew up in. 
and it was a third rounder and a following second rounder the next year if he plays a certain amount of snaps and if they go you know to the playoffs it may be a become a first rounder then it was like well that's a no-brainer like yes I, I would take that chance um and and part of it was for me I looked at like I'm just doing the swap this year would I give up a third rounder for a reclamation project that has played at a that has played at a Pro Bowl level and that has played at an MVP level until he tore up his ACL the year they won the Super Bowl under under Nick Foles? Would I give up a third rounder for that? Hell yes. Big I gamble would. though, because you're talking about a Colts team that is built to win right now, and you've got a certain amount of time in that window to win. You better be pretty confident, otherwise you're wasting a year in that window, right? Trying to reclamate, okay, but, but let me trying add. to rehab Carson Wentz. Now, yeah, the the, the benefits, the payoff for, is good. It could be really good, but the downside is 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 legitimate too. Okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Speaking of that window, okay, okay, you're you're talking about this window. Does that is that the same window that you would have if you decided to try to go down the road with Joe, Jacoby Brissett again? Is it the same window that you would have if you draft it? I don't know where they draft in the twenties. I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Fair well, point. If you draft a quarterback in the twenties, you know, or, or if you try to trade up and and get you know Mac Jones or you get uh, Trey Lance or, or or whoever you know, I mean, pick your quarterback of choice. Like, I think your odds of having a reclamation project and having Carson Wentz actually play well are dramatically improved, you know, because of Frank Wright, because of that relationship. And the fact that, dude, they got one of the best running backs in the National yeah. Football League. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. Like, they are they are built pretty well right now. Well, you're kind of winning me over. And it I, it sounds like it sounds like you know the Colts feel they're going in 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 the right direction. Although they may have uh, to try to win over Michael Pittman Jr. Right, because right. uh, Michael Pittman Jr., the rookie wide receiver who had a, a good rookie year, nothing special, but a good rookie year, uh, does not want to give up his number eleven to Carson Wentz. Apparently, he's not that impressed by Carson Wentz. So oh, he'll give up the number. Yeah, apparently not. You know, it's it's funny because Chris Godwin. You know when Tom Brady came over, Chris Godwin is a is a great receiver. He was wearing number twelve when Tom Brady came over. He just was like he just gave it to him. No money exchange, no nothing. Like I mean, I understand you can't compare Tom Brady and that and you know and his his goatness to Carson Wentz. But still, Wentz is being brought in to be the guy, right? Right. right. And you know, I, I would say one, you're a receiver, and this is one of the things that Chris Godwin said. I wanted to get off on the right foot because I didn't want Tom Brady to go, oh, yeah? How many balls do you think you're going to see, Chris, right, if you don't give me the 12? So, like, there's a part of me that looks at it like, you know, the guy does play quarterback. He has been in the league longer than you. He does, you know, have some uh, – he does have, like, four really outstanding seasons. So you look at his stats, man. They were great last year notwithstanding. Um, so there are – and you had 40 catches for 500 – and 500 and change in one TD. So I got, I don't know how smart it is not to give up the number 11. I I, I really don't. Um, I'm not saying that he's wrong for doing it. I, I'll tell you what happened to me when I came into Denver. I came into Denver from Washington. I was signed as a free agent. I failed a bunch of physicals. And there was some practice squad guy that had 69. 
And I walked in. Doug West was our equipment manager. And Dougie said, hey, man, uh, so-and-so wears 69. And, I mean, do you, do you want it? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, what? you know, whatever. He goes, like, there's 63 available. There's 63. And I go, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, whatever. You throw whatever in there. It doesn't really, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. Right? And I came in kind of the next day after having that meeting. I had 69 hanging in the locker. I was like, oh, what? Like, what happened? And so I went and talked to Dougie West. I was like, well, what happened? Like, did... And Mike Shanahan goes, Mike Shanahan came down and he said, hey, I'm going to put stinking 60. And he goes, no, no, he's 69. That's the number he wears. He goes, yeah, but this practice squad. And Shanahan was like, I don't give up what that practice squad. <laughs> guy's not, that guy's not going to start <laughs> over him. That's his number. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't give a rip. And, and so. <laughs> like there was no, I didn't pay the kid. I didn't like, I didn't even, I was like, all right, I'll take whatever. Uh, and, and Shanahan stepped up and said, no, that's not how this organization operates. So you don't I mean, have to name names. Did the, did the kid ever? No, he never even played. He got no, cut. Yeah. He got cut. Yeah. I mean, out of the league. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, I don't even know what the kid's first name was. I, I really don't like, I don't know that he made it through mini camps. <laughs> But you know, I mean, it's just the it's just kind but, of the the way it is, right? I still wouldn't be surprised if Wentz ends up with eleven. This, this might be a little negotiating How ploy. About, there. Wait, let me ask you this: If you've had like the kind of crap year Wentz had last year, do you just want to start afresh and That's say, "Hey, not man, a bad let me idea just, either." You're yeah, right. Let me just, just wash me, it away, yeah, man. Let's start clean slate. All right, so you got the you got Carson Wentz. Uh, we go from Philly to Pittsburgh. We'll stay in the hey, state. By the way, let me just stop you right there one quick second. Um, you know, they were in that window. The Colts were in that window last year. We were just talking about that quarterback window and stuff. Remember, Phillip Rivers was washed up in Charger land, right? Phillip Rivers couldn't play in Charger land anymore. Phillip Rivers was pretty damn good last yeah. year. All I right. All right. Just well, a thought. I, I'm intrigued now. I'm intrigued. That might be a... Uh, uh, you know, buy low and, and really benefit to, for all your fantasy football teams if you're, if you're talking about Carson Wentz. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, he had said after the season, um, you know, the, the, the whole vibe coming out of Pittsburgh, it didn't seem good. You know, Kevin Colbert was talking about uh, Ben Roethlisberger and, and, and the future, and it seemed murky and cloudy at best. Right. Then Ben goes and talks to Art Rooney II. They, they seem to work things out. Ben is willing to play ball when it comes to restructuring his contract, and it appears we're all good. Big Ben back for another year in Pittsburgh. It does look that way, right? I, I mean, here's here's the thing about Pittsburgh that it just is intriguing to me. When did Pittsburgh forget about Pittsburgh's roots? What do you mean? Like, when did all of a sudden they stop valuing physicality and running the ball and being bullies and – at least on the offensive side of the ball, Mike, where like I was getting I was prepped and I got switched, my game got switched, but I was prepping to do Washington Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh was eleven and zero undefeated. And my game got switched. But um because remember that game got pushed back in the week or whatever. So they switched our games. Anyhow, long story short, I I did the initial Pittsburgh kind of prep work, right? So I went through um, 
I had gotten through their offense, a couple of games of their offense. I hadn't gotten to their defense yet when my game got switched. But I had done a, a bunch of prep work. And I keep re- I, I remember just thinking to myself, at what point did Pittsburgh quit valuing offensive physicality and running the gosh darn ball? Are you okay over there? What what the heck is going on? Just adjusting the seat. Ah, there we go. Much better. <laughs> My goodness gracious. I know, that was a lot of effort. You were like rolling off the hard mat there for a minute. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, okay. So at what point did you just say, ah, screw it, we don't need to do that? And it was interesting because I was, I was breaking down their game against Buffalo. And I'm just like, you are in five wides, four wides. If you get into three wides, you know, you 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 explode both your tight end and your running back outside the number, so you know, or in the slot. So you're essentially in three by two formations, or you're in, you know, like like what happened to you guys? Like you don't even have the threat of play action or the threat of run. And it was just this entirety, it looked like a college football game of of spread offense. By the way, to back up your point, I just looked it up. Only Matt Ryan and Tom Brady threw more passes in the NFL last year than Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, which is, I, I, I just, I looked at it and I was like, what happened to you guys? Like, this is not Pittsburgh Steelers football. And what I would love to see, and I understand that Big Ben became kind of an elite level thrower of the football, you know, and they won a lot of games that way. I'd love to see them kind of dial it back to when they won Super Bowls with Bettis and they won Super like when they were doing things in Ben's early career, when they were, you know, dominating up front and they were running the ball and they were committed to doing those things. Um, and, and I will tell you this, show me a team that really is committed to being physical and running the ball. And usually I'll show you a team that's pretty good on the defensive side of defending it. Because like anything else, man, I think it's a real skill. Like I think if you run the ball really well and you're good at it, your defense is usually pretty decent at defending it because you practice against that in training camp all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I just think there's a I think there's an kind of a correlation to that between offense and defense. And anyhow, I would just like to see them. I think Ben's in a place right now in his career where, you know, he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's won multiple championships. Like instead of putting all the pressure on him, let's take some of the pressure off. I had this this just really like sometimes you have these great conversations that just crop up. This is one of the reasons I love doing games. You sit down with a coach and you have this conversation. And you know, sometimes there it's a lot of, you know, sometimes it's just this guy's starting, this guy's not, this guy's good, this guy's struggling with this, whatever it is, right? You, you're just kind of, you know, talking about the game and, and and what you're, you know, what the the presentation of the game and and what are the important kind of tidbits. Um, but sometimes you get into these deeper philosophical conversations with guys. And so I'm having this conversation with Sean Payton and I don't even know how the conversation started, but it was it just really stuck with me. He was like, listen, you know, Drew Brees coming off an injury and this, that, and the other. 
Um, and he goes, and even with Taysom Hill, who was starting, it's my job as a coach is these guys, it's the most important position in football, right? Quarter, quarterback. Okay? You could argue it's the most uh, important prese- uh, position in all of professional sports, the quarterback position. And so under you're always under duress mentally. Right, if you drop back thirty-five times, you're under duress. You've got to understand protections. You got to understand fronts, how the fronts tie to the back end and the secondary coverage. You have to be able to read the coverage, know what the routes are, know where you're supposed to go with the football based upon the coverage that you see unfold. Like, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that you have to to you know to jump through or, or jump over when you play quarterback. And Sean told me this. He's just like, my responsibility as a coach, if we're going to throw it 35 times, which we always are going to be in that in that realm, is I want to take 12 to 15 of those things off my quarterback's plate. So can I get him down to 20 times where he's doing mental gymnastics as opposed to 35 times? Can I give him you know 12 to 15 easy completions? 12 to 15 things that he didn't even have to think about. Like, and that's my responsibility as a coach to help that guy out. And I just, I just, it really stuck with me because you think about, like I always talk about protection for offensive lines and how great play callers solve a lot of the protection issues the way they call plays. And so that to me is is an important aspect of that quarterback-coach relationship and what you're trying to develop. All right, then how do you explain what went on in New England with Josh McDaniels and Cam Newton then? Because Cam Newton had a a terrible year throwing the football. I think he only had eight touchdown passes. Mm. Yeah, Uh, versus like 10 picks. Yeah, terrible year throwing the football. So where was the disconnect there? Well, I think you're, I, you know, I, I don't know, and I didn't do a New England game, so I didn't study them as much. But, I, you know, I think there's always things that you have to look at. One, when Cam is at Cam's best, when he was at his MVP best, what did he do well? I mean, it was all about design runs, and I think he had quite a few touchdown runs last year. Um, you know, I think he had like 12 touchdown runs versus eight touchdown throws. So... I think there's a combination of creating those runs along with the play action off of those things. Um, and I think one of the things about Cam, and, and I'm telling you, I think just over the last couple of years, the injury, like the shoulder thing, I did a game right before he got benched in 2018 in Cleveland where watching him warm up and then watching him play in the game. I think he got pulled in that game that I was calling. Mike, he couldn't throw it 30 yards. I mean, it was it was bad. And he was in all kinds of pain trying to get the ball out there. And so I just think that he's lost some flexibility, some mobility, um, some arm talent. I just I just think there's a lot of things that go into that. The foot, the year, you know, he missed a, almost the entirety of the 2019 season with a foot injury. He played in the first few games, um, played in a game out in London early in the season, and then it was kind of done for the year. I just think there's – I think the body has broken down to a point where 
that has and you know that's affected him. But he is never a, minus about a nine game stretch with Norv Turner as the main offense coordinator. He has never been you know supremely accurate. He's always been a good deep ball thrower, but I think intermediate and short. And part of that with Norv was let's see how many times we can get it to Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. And so there was a there was kind of almost a mindset change, but you know, again, in a new offense, in a new system, with a new guy, tell, like there's a lot to process and think about. Well, okay, but as his physical skills may be deteriorating, his leadership skills, his mentor skills, his um, you know leading by example skills seem to be getting better. I mean, they they had nothing but good things to say about him in New England. Mm-hmm. That for whatever struggles he may have had as a player, he totally embraced his role as quarterback and leader. And I, I wonder, has he set himself up? And, and, and I don't think this was his plan. I, he was defiant this week coming out and saying, you can't tell me there are 32 starting quarterbacks better than me out there in the, in the, in the world right. today. That there's a place for me as a starter. But... I wonder if he made such a positive impression in New England that he set himself up to be a really good backup slash mentor type quarterback uh, that a lot of teams around the league would would really welcome him in that role if he embraced it. Yeah, well, I think there's a ton of teams that would would you know would love to have him in that role. Like, hey, Baltimore Ravens, right? Wouldn't they love to have him in that but role? But you think he's ready? Do you think he's ready for no, it? No, I don't think he's I don't think he's at all ready for that. I think he wants to prove that he can still be a a you know, an MVP type of caliber quarterback. And and I, and I agree with him in this. I don't think there are 32 quarterbacks in this league that are better than Cam Newton. Heck, we just went through 2020 season where we saw one that wasn't Drew Luck. So, and I think there's, I think there's plenty of those situations throughout the league. Um, I just don't know that you're ever. I I don't know. It's 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 strange because I think Cam's at Cam's. I think he's at his best when he can obviously do everything like that makes him such a threat. His ability to run, his ability to do all those things. That's where he's at his best. Now, interestingly enough, uh, where did he have the majority of his success when he was, you know, winning MVP? Was under the tutelage of of Shula, Mike Shula, right? Was his offensive coordinator back then, who happens to be in Denver now. So, you know, would that be a reunion that you could, you know, you could look at and, and, you know, Obviously, a well, lot. If of, you put a lot of stock in like the whole Wentz, uh, Frank Reich thing. That there are certain right systems and coaches that get the most out of a player. Then, yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. And then I think the other thing you you look at is, you know, I mean, is, we've been talking ad nauseum about where is Watson going to be, and Houston keeps saying that they're not trading Watson. So, I mean, it, it, it'll it be interesting to see how all this kind of pans out. But I do agree with with Cam Newton in this. There aren't 32 guys that are better than Cam Newton. There, there just aren't. He had a rough year. He did have a rough year. He had a rough year. Calls into question whether or not he's 
better than all 32. Uh, he had a rough year. You Watching him throw the football late in the year was a struggle. That that was that was a struggle. There's no question. And I think again, I think that's more injury related. Even though you know he probably would admit it, but it was it was a struggle at the end of the year. So I, I don't I don't know if he had, ends up back in New England. Although he said that he was open to it. Man, I, the relationship between him and Bill Belichick early on, Belichick was saying a lot of nice things about Cam. I think a lot of us kind of blew it off as I rolled. Well, mm. you know, he's trying to talk up Cam because you know he wants to deflect attention away from you know Brady no longer being there. But it seemed like it was genuine between the two of them to the point where Newton went on a, a podcast this week and said Bill Belichick is the most un- misunderstood. I want to get the quote right: the most misunderstood person in sports, and that he's actually quote dope. Right. Yeah. Bill Belichick, dope. Yeah, I've heard. I I know. You know, I know a lot of guys that played for Bill Belichick in New England, and obviously, there's a grind in New England that you know that that gets that that can wear you out at at times. But I think the majority of guys that I know that played for Bill loved Bill, and he's far like he's far. More hip, sarcastic, funny, like than he ever leads on in the general public. Like he, you know, and he's a football historian. Like he know he just knows he knows a ton, but he can be, you know, he can be funny, snarky, dry. Like he's like he is a, you know, I think he's a better relational guy than he never lets you see that part of him. In you know, on a daily press conference or whatever, he right. just won't do it. Um, but I think he's quite a bit different than than I think most people. So I agree with Cam that like I agree that he is he's really a he's a misunderstood. But like he brings that on himself. He wants it that way. Right. You could have won a lot of bets on the idea that it would take it would be Cam Newton of all people who would be the one that would be going to great lengths to show. How human Bill Belichick is. Right. It really is. Yeah, you want a lot of bets on that one, right? It's, it does seem on the surface, it does seem like a real, like like a complete and total mismatch, right? right? It right. does seem that way. But they they seem to click. We'll see if it uh, means maybe a return to New England for uh, for Cam Newton. All right, man. That's uh, that's it for us. For Mike, myself, uh, for Scott the Hub, we thank you for listening. Make sure you uh, check out our friends at Superbook for America's Best Bet. Also. Our friends at Monarch Meds, monarchmeds.com. Check out the relief cream. Uh, relief cream and spray, something that uh, I truly believe in, something that I use on a daily basis. I'm going to go to the gym right after this, and I will have it lathered all over my shoulders and my low back so uh, and my knees. And uh, and what, what the hell? I'll put on my elbows and my hips. So uh, check that out. At, you need uh, any help applying it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I might. Uh, check that out, monarchmeds.com. Make sure you code in STINK. For 20% off and free shipping. For everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, we'll be back with you uh, later on.